You're listening to The Business of Farming, a series of talks from the Young Farmer Business Program brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. I'm Selena Shannon, and this episode was recorded at the 2020 conference in Dubbo. Isabel Knight is the founder and director of Proactive, a succession planning business. But first and foremost, she's a farmer. Isabel grew up in a family of farmers and went on to marry into a second farming family. Her involvement in these two family farming businesses sparked her interest in succession planning and agriculture and all the tough conversations we need to have around it. I've got a lot of dints on my shins from him kicking me under the table and going, shut up, when I didn't have the awareness to just hang on to my tongue occasionally when it would have been more appropriate. Over her lifetime in agriculture, she's developed a passion for educating others about succession planning, with the belief that poor planning or a lack of planning altogether, is one of the greatest risks to businesses and family. In the session you're about to hear, Isabel explains how to start those difficult conversations and ultimately continue your family business's legacy. So I've been asked today to talk to you a little bit about succession planning and also to uh, try to talk a little bit about how to initiate conversations with a view to progressing the idea and the action around succession planning in family farm businesses. So we're talking about the dynamics of managing generational change. And you know, it's a very unique setting family business because it does have that related interaction between the generations. And you know, we have had three generations in well, actually sometimes four generations in the room when we're working with people, because sometimes there's little babies as well that are in there. And so that's a very unique environment and one that we need to try to understand. So if I were to give you any tips for, uh, you know, starting this process, I would say the number one tip is to start to understand some of those dynamics well, so that you're aware I think a lot of the time we're so unaware. And I can tell you, when I married Rod, I was 22 years old and I was so unaware. So it's not easy to sort of build on that awareness, but that's certainly a place to start. When we think about family business, there are many parts to it that we're actually managing. Now, I come from a long line of farmers And I would say that my father and his father and grandfather before focused on production as a major aspect. And it's actually the area that most people who choose to be farmers love. They're very passionate about. However, I would say to you that it is important to understand that there are many other areas of family business that are very important to focus on. And if we stay in production, We can tweak some things and, yes, we might make some difference, but the uplift in our businesses from a perspective of reward for us as human beings, but also from a profitability perspective, the uplift comes from other areas, which we are traditionally not great at. I do think you, as a younger generation, are probably way better at it than Rod and I were in our generation. So you will probably do a better job of this. However, I still find that we're not good in some of these other areas. Communication underpins the conversations we need to have and we don't value training in it as much as we should. 
and we don't value setting the platforms in place so that we can have appropriate conversations in appropriate settings rather than those random conversations that can be alcohol fueled at family gatherings and they can end up in some disasters. So we do need to have some platforms in place to actually have appropriate communication. And we need to train and develop ourselves and we do need to step back and be quite strategic about what we're doing. So I would say there are many areas in Australia and farming families where we're quite weak. And in various focus groups over the years, I've asked people to rate themselves in different aspects of family business. And by our own hands, we have given ourselves flunking grades in those other soft skill aspects of our family businesses. So by our own admission. So we are good at production. We are good at being innovative. We have to be. We're becoming quite outstanding in, in some businesses, amazing at marketing. But on the whole, we are quite weak in these other areas. And that's where our uplift lies. And succession is just one piece of the puzzle. But when farming families come and think about succession planning, they mix all these other soft areas into the heading succession planning. And so we need to be working on these other aspects in order to support our succession planning process. So when we're talking about succession planning, we're actually talking about transition. We're talking about, first of all, that transition of management, secondly, leadership, and lastly, ownership. Too often I see succession plans that have been written down that are all about carving up a balance sheet. And that's really not serving very many people well. And so often that's why a lot of the older generation are terrified about succession planning because they want to treat their family fairly meaning equally in their heads and they don't want the farm divided up. So they do this and don't go there because it is overwhelm overwhelmingly difficult. So we have to think about the concept of how we go through this process and starting with management, starting with the capacity to actually run the business well. So it's that area that first of all we need to train in and have support in. And just because we go to university doesn't mean we can manage a business. It really doesn't. So the second part is leadership. And leadership is often where we fall down in the process because leadership is so individual. It is so individual. And when you think about your families and think about who has run and led your business now or in the past, and you think about those individuals and think about the needs they had that had to be met in order for them to transition leadership, it's very individual. And so that requires some difficult conversations to actually get clear about what their needs are so that there's an ability to feel purposeful in the future, as well as gracious in a transition. So lastly then, it's ownership. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't be clear. A lot of people think that having a will is a succession plan. And actually, a will sits with 
a succession plan. So a succession plan and an estate plan are parallel. And so we need to have a plan for if something happens tomorrow or today, we know exactly how this is going to land. But to rely on an estate plan is actually, in my mind, completely negligent. If we rely on an estate plan, what we are saying is someone who doesn't understand our business wrote a will for us and possibly loaded in some debt to create some equality or maybe even wrote something up that says we ought to have just put the for sale sign up today. And what we do is we leave it to some random date in the future. And when do farmers die? They die in the middle of raging droughts, when commodities are worth next to nothing, interest rates are up in the 20s and they're up to here in debt. And so we say to ourselves, we've done succession planning because we've got an estate plan. So when you think that through and think about that randomness, that's not good enough. We need a business plan that that estate plan and the succession plan supports. And so that takes the family to really roll up their sleeves and work that through. So there's a lot in each of those aspects that we need to work on. Thank you. <laughs> When succession planning is unaddressed, in a process, problems arise. And I think that all of you have potentially seen some of it. I can tell you that the reason I do what I do is because I saw in my generation an enormous amount of carnage and beautiful families with fantastic businesses not do this well and end up in tragic situations, unnecessary which as Gillian said earlier, I feel has been an enormous cost to agriculture, to families, human beings and our communities. And so as hard as this is, we have an obligation to step into it. If we see disagreements, ineffective communication, this complete lack of clarity and direction, lots of polarised opinions, we are starting to get into a space where we are reducing our respect and our trust for each other. And I can tell you from a facilitator standpoint that when a family walk in the door and they are in that space, it is incredibly difficult to re-bank trust. When we withdraw trust, it is hard to redeposit in order to gain that trust. So these people that we're talking about, that we're in business with, are the people we love the most in the world. Yet we will not willingly have these conversations and sometimes let it get too far. And when it does go too far, we have a breakdown in communication, lots of anxiety, stress builds up. There's an actual impact on financial performance. You know, and I remember reading the Harvard research about family businesses who had something written down in relation to a collaborative plan for the future was somewhere around 25 to 27% more profitable than their contemporaries. And that's because they're not wasting their headspace on negativity and, and withdrawal. 
And I can remember when I was newly married, I'd get out on the lawnmower and I'd just go round and round and round and I'd be having a conversation with my father-in-law and a conversation with my mother-in-law and a conversation with my husband and I'd get myself so worked up. That's negative energy. So when we have an opportunity to actually go through this process, we actually can apply our brains to something that's actually positive, worthwhile, and actually sees us achieve something in our futures. So that negative energy is an enormous, enormous cost to us. And it's not worth it, I can tell you. And more serious problems lead to fights and hard feelings and lawsuits. And the only people who ever win in a lawsuit, I can tell you, are lawyers. And they don't mind winning. And we've just had a professional development couple of days with our team and we had one of Australia's best estate planning specialists talking to us specifically about New South Wales, just some areas of New South Wales law. It's scary. And I have a great friend, Jane Needham, who I went through law with, and she headed up the Law Society, and she used to say, Isabel, you get out there and you tell those farmers that the only way that they can ever be 100% secure is in their collaborative communication and their binding agreement for their future. There are no legal structures, really, that are gonna do what that does for you. So it is so precious, that ability to have those conversations. And then, yes, by all means, get all the rest of it sorted. But it starts with us in our families. And it also has an awful impact on health and well-being when it's not done. And I know during this terrible struggle that many people have faced in this drought that we have seen families come through and continue to progress, even in the face of some terrible disasters, in a much more unified and bonded and strong way with a great attitude because they, are, they know this is a speed bump and they know where they're going. And those people who haven't done this, often the, the, the crisis amplifies the issues and we see some terrible situations as a result. So it's not worth it. So where do we start? Because there is so much to consider. We start with ourselves, just like this bird, we need to be looking at ourselves. And we need to be beginning to be doing the work we need to do personally so that we can become as clear as possible about what it is we dream to do, where we dream to be, and who we dream to be with in the future. And that's our starting point for communication. Because if families can collectively, members can collectively be clear, then as a group we can start to look at where we're actually needing to go. And often these needs, these desires, these ambitions are left unspoken, the questions are never asked, and sometimes people have no opportunity to express it. And to say I don't know is a cop-out. Because if you mean to be in these businesses, you must get serious about how you see your future. Write it down and get clear. Some people actually have to write something to be clear, others don't. 
but being clear, this morning a young lady came up to our stand and it was just so divine hearing her talk about, she's still at university and she's saying, and this is what I think I'd like to do and we've got a farm and I'm thinking this is where I'd like to be and etc. and I thought, oh, how exciting, be just a gem in a family meeting. So understanding what your aspirations are is your starting point and sharing those with each other. Then as business owners, then we need to be very clear about the purpose of our business. The business is actually a vehicle to deliver outcomes and that needs to be aligned with the needs of the people. So it's easier to be clear about a purpose when we actually have done this work. And then you can start to drill down to specifics like, righto, on average, over a period of time, what have we got to deliver to do X, Y and Z? And it puts discipline and accountability into our management processes. And even if we get a drought, and even if we have these speed bumps, what that does is, doesn't normally change where we want to be or what we want to achieve, it just changes some of the time frames. And maybe the dry time is the time of reflecting around other opportunity. Some of the best uh, business decisions can come out of times like this, where people are facing a change and such uncertainty, it gets them into the uncomfortable space where they start to really think about other opportunities. So I think that clarity of purpose is important. And I remember doing a workshop years ago in Queensland, and you know in Queensland there's lots of big, big hats and big buckles, and sitting around, they still have their hats on when they're in the workshop. And I remember saying to, one, to them, so can anyone tell me what the purpose of your business is? And one man said, piped up and said, the purpose of my business is to grow lots of big fat cows. And his wife was right beside him, and she jabbed him in the ribs so hard with her elbow, he nearly fell off his chair. She said, that is so not we, what we're here for. We're going to finish educating these kids. We're going to get that retirement fund sorted. We're going to leave this farm and we're going to retire over there. And so she was pretty clear about what they were there to do, I can tell you. So that, you know, is, that's a bit of a push me, pull you. You know, we really have to get on the same page. So there's lots of overlaps in family business. We've got those family needs, individual needs to start with, then our family needs, and then we have the needs of a business and the farms, you know, swilling around in the middle. We actually do need to get very clear about all of this so that we can really, it, it is important to have that plan and to, to, know, to know what you're working toward. Sometimes the journey changes, you know, and I think back when Rod and I started out, we um, were pretty clear in lots of ways about where we wanted to go and what we wanted to achieve. The journey, if someone had said it's, it's going to look like this, well, we might have died, but it's, it's, it's taken, you know, it's done that, but the end hasn't changed too much. And I think that's really the case for most people. So we need to understand that there are those different individual needs and we are juggling them. We need to be clear about them. We have an overlap of business and individual life cycles. And I would say that most people, are affecting succession too late. So when we are starting to get tired and a bit cranky and we just figure we're going to put the for sale sign up because we're just about, we had enough of the drought, we're really a little past when we should be mentoring the incoming generation. So if we leave it till we're tired and cranky, 
We're not going to be good mentors. So it really is important to start this process before we feel it's necessary. And I think that um, it's a difficult push me, pull you. I know I will hear young people saying, well, you know, I'm going to go and do something over there for a while because, you know, the old man's not ready or whatever. And then I'll hear the older generation saying things like, well, they're not stepping up to the plate. They're just partying and, you know, they come in and they flit here and they flit there and they do that and rah, rah, rah. But actually knowing what the plate, what a plate looks like is vitally important in this process. And that ability to uh, be able to be clear about what is expected and then learn to transition responsibility. And I can tell you it's hard. I started out with just two of us in this business and now there are more of us and I have to trust that others can do what I would like to see done and it's not easy. However, it is absolutely vital. And so doing this too late has an awful impact on businesses. If your aim is, as Mark Boris said, he was talking about selling a business, selling a farm, if that's your aim and you're clear about that aim, well, this mightn't matter so much. But if your business is a generational family business, then this actually matters enormously. So business viability is also something that all succession planning should be embedded in. We need to understand the dynamics of that business and what represents its viability and how to actually understand that. I really think that's very empowering for people if they can really understand the business well. And you do not have to be a university guru, you just need to be quite practical and keep it quite simple, but nonetheless understand it. And uh, it's somewhat disappointing often when we talk to farming families and they can't tell you, oh, year in, year out, my overheads look like that. They can't say, um, year in, year out, I, I really need to average this to get there. So there's some simple concepts there, but it actually requires some work to do that. And I think we overcomplicate. We do all this business analysis and we look at gross margins, and yes, that's terribly important. What we need to do is really benchmark ourselves really well against what, what we want to achieve. And I think understanding that is a, an integral part of succession planning. So family business and uh, intergenerational difference has lots of dynamics. One dynamic is our generational difference. And so you might have a little look here and see where various members of your family are. And you will then ha have a look on this slide and you can see some of the challenges and attributes of your grouping. And this is straight out of Mark McCrindle's work, so you can actually Google him and you can look at these and there's masses and masses of work in there that you can read up on. But you can see that there are attributes and challenges. And when we think about some of what we see, one of the things that we see a lot is that um, concept of promotion. So you can see there in the boomer generation who largely currently hold the assets or own the assets and control the businesses, there's a concept of actually needing tenure for promotion means doing your time. And then their children largely are Gen Y and their children are saying, well, you know, I'm back, I'm ready, let me at it. And they're getting a bit of a palm in the face. 
So that's a challenge. There are attributes, a lot of people who, I know I've met a banker who said to me, oh, I can't stand Gen Y, they're the Y, whinging Y generation. I went, well, I love them, because in family businesses, they're fantastic. You can give them a project, and you can give them um, the, help them with the clarity, and they're off. So for me, that's a wonderful, wonderful attribute to that generation, and they love to work collaboratively which is important when you're working in a family business. You can't just be this one lone wolf out there who says, well, you know, you do it my way or bugger off. You actually, you know, in fa most family businesses, we actually do need to understand what it's like to be in a team. So these are the messages. The builder generation, which was very much my father, it was tough in our day and we survived on little, and they did. They were very frugal and they didn't spend unless they had the dollar. Then we have the boomer generation. We can adapt to change, just give us some time. And a lot of what happens is they feel cornered. They're being asked questions by their younger generation and they feel quite cornered and so they say no. So rather than exploring, so what we need to do is place the question, just like stock handling, step in, put the pressure on, place the question and then leave it. Take the pressure off and allow them a bit of processing time. And you will be amazed at what comes up when people actually have that pressure off and they can process. And that's very much the boomer generation. Gen X, we, live, we work to live, not live to work. Gen Y, we're techno savvy and with that comes impatience. And the next generations are starting to resemble some of the older generations. So it's really interesting to see some of this cycle coming around which comes out of uncertainty. I think the younger generations are feeling less certainty than some of the other generations. So understanding the perception of each family member is important and I would really challenge you as a result of today to actually sit down, write up the top of a page the name of each of your family members and see if you can write a slide for each of them. If you can't do that, it says you're not really, you're making assumptions that, and check with them, you know, start, start to, is this, is this what would really be going on for you? Try to understand what's going on for each person. So the younger generation on farm, they will say always that they need clarity and direction about the future. And they don't ever say, I want the farm. They say, we want clarity. We want to know what that roadmap looks like and how that's going to be. We, they want to be able to make some decisions. They have great ideas they'd like to try out. They also want to know what the, the future looks like, sufficient that they can actually share that with partners, know how to support a family. They wonder what their parents are going to do and how they're going to be funded, which is a fair enough question. And then they want to know, is everyone going to have a share of the farm? And actually, that's a good reason for starting succession planning early, is to give ourselves time to deliver some other outcomes. Because, you know, a lot of the wealth that currently resides in rural Australia now is on the back of some generations. And so everyone is entitled. Even they're entitled at law, but morally as well, entitled to some opportunity from that wealth. And I have had young people in a room who would say, well, I'm the farmer, I get the farm. 
we have to think creatively about how that capital that has been invested maybe in farm, maybe in other things, can actually provide opportunity. First of all, funding for parents, they have to come first, but also provide opportunity for other members of the family. And when we actually make a difference in someone else's life, it's not about the millions or the equal carve-up of the balance sheet. It's about the difference that actually makes to somebody's life. And I find people are too flippant around capital. If we had to earn what is in these properties on the backs of some generations, well, we'd have to be a Mark Boris in many cases, and there are not too many of him. So we have to be very respectful of the fact that there is capital there that can do a lot of things if we actually understand that better. So that maybe it was grandparents or parents who were the real entrepreneurial builders, the responsibility of the current generation is to protect and grow. And it's a very different concept to that throw the dice mentality of a lot of those builders. So some of that under, underlying some of those questions is really important to understand. And people want to know also when, how responsibility is going to transact. And I would say too, it's a lot about um, where families often start to fight and have disagreement is around what we do with capital. If we have a big year, do we do this with it? Do we buy the gold-plated cattle yards, the aeroplane, or do we actually start to set something up for someone's retirement or put something away for education or pay down some debt or look to get ourselves consolidated so we can go again? That capital, I call that capital allocation, decision-making, is where a lot of families fall asunder. And it's a real push-me-pull-you, and often the, the noisy voice wins rather than the objective collaborative strategy. And what are our roles and responsibilities is also very important. The generation off farm often see a lot of stress on farm. They wonder what they can do about it. They aren't working on the farm. They worry that maybe they're going to have to fund a lot of mum and dad's retirement if that's not actually dealt with because maybe mum and dad have just taken everything to buy the place next door because someone's rocked home. They feel they're entitled to something and they wonder, is that how everybody sees it? They'll, reg they'll regularly say, oh, I I I'm sort of okay, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And it sort of doesn't matter in, in that kind of a communication because they think, well, it's not really safe to say because it feels grubby and greedy, but I can tell you, it is absolutely vital that we get clear about how that's going to be handled for people who choose to be in other occupations other than on the farm and get very clear about how that's going to be. Because if we leave that to an estate plan and the person's no longer here to talk about why they did what they did and it doesn't look like equal, they don't have a concept of how to understand how something's fair. And if someone's going to accept something that isn't equal, they need to feel that it is fair. So I hope that's not sounding like double Dutch, but it's certainly how it is. So the in-laws or partners of those on farm, so remember these people are stakeholders. They have 
increasingly as time marches on, invested so much in being there. And I feel passionately about this, having been an in-law. I can remember having a dinner party in our little cottage and up the veranda were 23 people to dinner. And I looked up this, you know, we had our dinner and we were sitting there and I looked up at all of them and all of the girls bar none had a tertiary qualification. Only one of the boys did. All of the boys were working in their family businesses and I was the only girl who had a role in the family business. All the others were trying to make a life for themselves, gardening, blah, 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 you know, things back then, it was, uh, you know, slightly different. We didn't have all the internet that we have today. And they were, largely a lot of them were very unhappy. And what a disappointing attitude. Because someone was afraid that she might run off up the road with half their assets, they miss out on all that IP in there all that opportunity and all that possibility because they will not value that other person that came to the table. So we need to be very careful about how we treat people and, and really think really mindfully about a contribution. If people don't see themselves or want to, that, I'm not saying they have to, I'm saying though that there are resources in our families that are second to none. And we need to be very mindful of that and not act out of fear, rather act out of generosity in our families. And we shouldn't have people who are uncertain about their future. Because, you know, I can remember having a terrible row with Rod. I said to him, why did you not have some of these conversations before I came along? And he said, oh, I sort of didn't feel I needed to, really. Rock. And so what happens then when he rocks up to ask his mother and father something? It looks like, you know, she who must be obeyed, she's, she's gone, God, ask him, the, ask the questions. So it makes you look like a shocker when actually that is the responsibility of a family before an in-law gets in the door so that you can actually say, this is how we do things around here. Oh, how fantastic. And if you've got any ideas, we'd really like to hear them. Oh, how refreshing. But how many families do that? <laughs> so mums, what do you think mums want? I have grandchildren now. They just want family harmony. They just want everyone to get on. And they want their children treated fairly. Mums will be the greatest gatekeeper to the no for the non-farm family members. I have seen people come into the room, dad and the farmers, and mum and the rest. And it's because she's feeling like they're not being taken into consideration, they're not being adequately catered for, it's not fair in her perspective, and she will stand on her dig like no one you've ever seen. Women always know how many children they've had, unlike blokes. And so they will stand up for them. They will really stand up for them. And we see that all, time and time again. Women always want to be financially secure. They do get very sick of, oh my goodness, can we go and actually take that trip that we should have been, we've been dreaming of for 25 years because we're actually now in a raging drought? 
They have a different concept of financial security. And woe betide anybody who thinks they can assume what mum thinks financial security represents. And so many people do. They get themselves in an awful pickle. Because actually, the day comes, somehow women kind of see mortality a bit differently to blokes. I don't know what that is. I did psychology, but I haven't worked that out. So the, the women sort of, the mortality kind of comes at them. And they start to think, hmm, only a few more years and I want to do this, this, this and this. And the blokes wander in, they're like, oh, I'm going to live to him 110. My husband says it. He says, I'm going to be 105. Oh, my God, you so are not. I'm going to be 105, so I don't have to worry about that yet. And it's so, it just leads to unknown conflict that really these people need to get on the same page around. So mums really, you know, they will stand in this process, they will stand in some ways like they've never stood before. I love it because they will articulate things. The worst case scenario is when you have a family where something's happened to one of the parents and one's not there. That's really tough because they don't have a sounding board even if it might feel liberating at times. And they often want to spend special time with their family. Dads, um, they're a really mixed bag, but you know, we see those dads who are scared about getting old and they don't know what they're going to do if they can't farm anymore. But what I would say is it's really important to feel purposeful. And while a lot of them get to a point where they don't want to carry all that responsibility anymore, they seriously want to be purposeful and they have so much to contribute. And I think we need to be very respectful of what they have to contribute. And really respectful, you know, we now have etched in our memories this drought. And a lot of those people have been through times like this before. And we're here because somehow they managed that. And sometimes we underestimate what those older heads have actually worked their way through. And sometimes we don't even take the time to ask them the questions. So I think we have to regard each other highly and that's a very important dynamic in beginning conversations. Understanding what it's like to be dad who's actually facing letting go. You know, I, I had a, a very strong um, dad in a family and uh, I can remember talking to him on, on his own and he said, you know, I, I don't like letting go. Actually, until we've achieved this, this and this, I'm bloody well not letting go. I'm actually not. I said to him, yeah, well, I get some of that. H however, the risk you run is that the legacy you wish to leave is at risk. It's your downside risk. So the risk... I said to him was, your legacy is actually going to be that this family business doesn't go to the next generation. It's actually probably going to get stuck because you're going to get stuck. You get older and less decisive and more stubborn and cranky and actually it'll get stuck. And when I started talking to him about legacy, a oh, penny started to drop then. That's not the legacy I want. And with that, there was a real change in momentum around his willingness. So I think, again, it's just terribly important to understand people's perspective and be really respectful of them. So what I just wanted to say to everyone is there's a lot to succession planning and, you know, in 40 minutes it, or 45 minutes it's very difficult to 
um, talk to you about all that technical stuff, which is absolutely a part of it. But the key message I'd really like you to hear is that the starting point is in conversation. It is in respectful discourse. It's in truly understanding all of the people who are in our family and not to set them aside or think they're annoying. If we don't do this, we lead, we get into conflict. And I'm not saying conflict's bad always because it's just a, a symbol of difference, but conflict that becomes uh, destructive is a terrible outcome. So if, if we're going to start somewhere, it is in training ourselves to be much, much, much more aware. Just think about what I said about me with the dinted shins aged 22, 23. Don't be that person. Work on your self-awareness. Do that really hard work. Go and do some courses that confront you to the core about who you are. Because until you do your work, you cannot expect anything better from anyone else. We can only change ourselves. So I wish you well and thank you very much for listening. That was Isabel Knight speaking at the Young Farmer Business Program Conference in Dubbo in 2020. Want to learn more about what it takes to create a successful primary production business? Check out the rest of The Business of Farming in your podcast app or online. In the next episode, hear the amazing stories of how three young farmers paved their way to success. When I was 11 years old, I remember my father said to me, Jared, you will never get my property. Why would he, why would he say that? Because the, tra- the family succession thing in his family went terrible. So he just said that to me, and I thought, that's okay, I'll get my own. So I had that goal in my life ever since.